Amen. What an amazing reminder this morning, amen, that he is with us no matter what. What a good encouragement. Um, again, uh, the Lord is so good how he orchestrates uh, our worship. And um, for Andrew to come and sing an amazing song about no matter what, even if the Lord allows the hurt and the pain to continue. And I love the line in that song that says, if, even if you leave the mountain unmovable, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to take hope in who Christ is. And so, and then for us to sing that he is with us no matter what. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And what a blessing that is to know that truth this morning. Not hope as though we hope on a star or wish on a star, but to know with a guarantee from God's word that he is with us through Christ. Amen. And so this morning we are in week five of our series called Family Focus. And I honestly pray that through the last so many weeks that you have been encouraged challenged, strengthened, in, and how God would encourage you to see your family maybe in a different way, uh, in a biblical viewpoint, from a biblical mindset. Um, our families are not things that need to be escaped. They're things that we need to be enjoying as blessings of God. And so we've been walking through different aspects of this. Again, we only did five weeks. Uh, we could have done 15, 20 weeks through every different aspect of this. And so we've kind of been a little bit more of a summary type series. And so I pray that even through that, you've been blessed and encouraged through that. Um, if you've missed any of the five weeks, you can go online, northgoodland.org, or our app, NorthGoodlandBC, in your app store. You can find all the messages there, uh, and we encourage you to do so so you can kind of catch up with where we've been. Also, if you're interested in taking notes this morning, um, there is uh, on the app, there is availability for notes to be taken. You just go to media and then sermon notes. You'll find today's notes there and you can fill in and kind of follow along. Or if you would like just a copy of my notes, if that would help you in your personal study, just reach out to me and I'd be more than willing to, to send you a digital copy of that as well. So we started this series with kind of a general premise that there are two institutions that God ordained in the world for his glory and to build his kingdom. There are two institutions that God ordained in the beginning of creation that were intended to give glory to him and direct all attention and glory to the Lord and to build his kingdom, to draw people into relationship with him. Those are the small family unit and the local church. And again, we shared that a few weeks back now, our missionary to Poland, Ben Layer, was with us, and he spoke to this a little bit in the message, and it just really kind of hit me that morning, and I, that week, the Lord just kept kind of laying on my heart that we needed to go down that road and kind of speak to that. And so those two things, the small family unit and the local church, are the two institutions that God has ordained to give glory to his name and to build his kingdom, or to draw people into right relationship with him. And we've talked to the overarching creative order of God's design, that God instituted marriage. Marriage is not a man-made tradition. The covenant that is marriage is not man-made. It is God-ordained. And that means that no matter what happens in our world today, no matter how many people want to make decisions and redefine this and so-called say that, marriage is defined only appropriately by God's word. That's one man and one woman for life. That's the design. And in that design, there is a beauty and a wonder where man and woman come together as one. And anyone married understands that that is not an easy thing to do practically. Amen? For two completely different, sometimes, personalities, interests, ideas, 
food, tastes, hobbies, all those things. By the way, we're also fallen into sin, right? We're all equally sinful. And we come together in marriage and we're supposed to be one flesh. And you know that's difficult to walk that out. And unfortunately, instead of Christian couples getting into God's word and striving for God to show them and give them an understanding of how to live in unity one with another, we fall into some of these stereotypical roles of the sitcom jokes that we see about this role and that role. And the husband's kind of the dopey guy that just tries to get through the day. And the wife is the the rock of the family, the intelligent one that's going to make everything right. And without her, the husband would fall apart. and, And that's kind of culture today. The man's just there to make money and kind of just be this dopey guy that is kind of fun, but, you know, really doesn't know what's going on. Kind of the everybody loves Raymond approach to marriage, if you've ever seen that show. And unfortunately, those stereotypes, we laugh at them, but that mindset creeps into our families as Christian families. And we forget that, no, 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 the Bible makes it clear that we are to be one flesh, joined together, equally submitted one to another, And then Ephesians says, once we're equally submitted to each other in Christ, it actually lays out that the husband is to lead the family, the wife is to submit to that leadership, but the husband's also to what? Love his wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her. And when we see this design of God, this this wonderful, perfect design, and we strive for that, we'll see joy in our marriages, peace in our marriages, love and unity. Will there be conflict? Of course. Will there be disagreements? Of course. But the point is that if we're keeping our eyes on him and not on trying to please ourselves, we're going to find we're going to have a lot more fruitful and Christ-like marriage. So many couples go into their marriages thinking about how it's going to benefit them. Like, what do I get out of the deal? But like we said that first week, if we wake up, if you're here and you're married today, every day you wake up and you pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to serve my wife or my husband, serve my children, serve my community, and serve my church, and you start there, and not how do I get served today, man, you're going to find God put you in the situations where you can be such a blessing to other individuals. And you'll also find your needs will be getting met as well. It's amazing how if we follow God's design, things will work for his glory and our blessing. Again, God designed marriage. He instituted marriage as a union between one man and one woman. Remember, God is not confused on this issue. There are only two, male and female. God is not confused. There's no spectrum here. It's two, male and female. And he designed us this way. Also, he blessed them with children and then led the parents and lead parents today to disciple and train up their children in the Lord. And this is the design of the family, that mom and dad would come to know Christ. They would live in unity and oneness, one with another. God, if he so wills to bless them with children, I understand not everyone is able to have children. And I understand the difficulty with that as far as our sympathy and our empathies are with you and we're praying with you and for you. But some people are able to have children and God blesses them with children. And he leads the parents to disciple those children that they would grow to know Christ. And this is the design of what the family is intended to do. We have discovered or learned that we can, as a family, live together, not merely coexist. We can actually live together as a family and not just coexist. We can live in peace and not tension. There can actually be peace in the home and not tension and strife. 
We can live in the culture, being in the world, but not of the world. We can actually live in this culture, make an impact for Christ by his grace through faith, and yet not be of the world and our values and our motivations and our desires. We can actually live in this world, but not be of the world. And we've unpacked all of this over the last so many weeks. This morning, we are kind of finishing up our series, focusing on learning to function in the local church as a family. So we want to discover this morning, how can we learn to function in the local church as a family? You see, our desire as a church, our mission statement, if you will, is to be a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. That's our mission statement as a church. We believe when we look in the New Testament, if we had to summarize what the church's purpose is in the world today, we believe It is to be a kingdom-focused church. We're focused on his kingdom, not our kingdom. We're not here to build a brand that is North Goodland, right? We're here to add to his kingdom by grace through faith, preaching the gospel. We're focused on his kingdom. And that focus leads us to love God and love others, which are the two great commandments, right? Love God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. And then how do we love others? How do we demonstrate love to others? Well, we do that by loving to serve. And we serve them, we serve our community, and we serve our church. And so we believe that's a good summary statement to kind of take the purpose of the New Testament church for North Goodland. The truth is a kingdom-focused church is not made up of only individuals, but families. A kingdom-focused church is not made up of only individuals, but families. Because God ordained the small family unit, that is what makes up the local church Families coming together with common purpose in the gospel to see others come to know Christ. We come together as the body of Christ, the family of God, made up of individuals and families coming together that others would come to know Christ. Parents and grandparents modeling and discipling a Christ-likeness for the younger generation to follow. That's the design. That when we come to the local gathering that young people will see parents and grandparents, not just their parents or their grandparents, but other adults in the church, modeling and discipling, what does it even look like to walk with Jesus? Like, what does that sound like? And I'll always be uh, amazed, and I was blown away by this, and it was, I think it was not this last year, but the year before at our men's prayer breakfast. And I'll never forget, there was uh, a time where uh, Everett Channel drew a picture and he drew a bunch of like stick people around. It was better than I could have done. I'll be honest with you. So he drew all these stick people and I hope I get this right, but it was something like my brother's at prayer breakfast, if I'm getting that right. And how cool is that? That this young kid coming to men's prayer breakfast, just hanging out, saw those men gathered around there as, as leadership and those that he can look to for an example. By the way, we're not perfect men at prayer breakfast. We all have faults and failures and strifes and we're struggling and we're walking and we're growing. But I love that a young man saw other men in the church as an example of Christ-likeness because he was able to sit in that room and just pray with them and hear them share their concerns and hear them share their stories. And so what an amazing thing to see that, that maybe right now for whatever reason, and I can't imagine the hurt it might bring into your life, God has not blessed you with children or grandchildren yet then don't look at that and say, well, then I can have no impact on the younger generation. I can't make a difference at all. You have no idea just gathering together and walking with Christ, just consistently keeping your eyes on him, how you can impact younger, the younger generation for Christ, how you can make a difference by just modeling that before them. You see, the call of the local church is not to be made up of one age group or another. 
but to strive to reach the family for Christ. The goal of the local church is not to be one age group or another. And you've probably experienced this. You ever walk into a church or you hear somebody describe a church and say, well, we're a younger church. And what they mean is they've got a, young, a lot of young families, but not many older people. Or they'll say, well, we're an older church. We've got a lot of older people, but not many young children or families. And I understand that can happen in time of life and transitions and where your church is and what's going on in the community and all of that. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to strive to reach one group or another. I've actually been uh, exposed to some church growth tips and strategies over the years of doing ministry, like different conferences that come to my attention. And most of them I kind of laugh at and fluff off because it's basically just sales is all it really is, market-driven sales and those kind of things. It's just a bunch of nonsense. But one of the things I came across that I found was very interesting is this individual who's a huge, apparently, church guru growth guy. Like, this is the guy that can, quote, grow your church from 200 to 1,000 in six months. What a guarantee. I didn't realize that we can just push the Holy Spirit aside and just take over and, and grow a church like that. I didn't know that was possible. But apparently, we're growing crowds, not churches, so you can do that. You can't grow a church that way because he only gives the increase. Amen. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. And if he blesses, praise the Lord. And if he subtracts, praise the Lord. It's all to his glory. But this individual said something that blew me away. He said, find the age group that you can reach and then go reach that age group. Pick a demographic and just go get. He said, don't try to reach everybody. Just pick your demographic that your church can reach. And he actually said this. If you're an older church, then be an older church. And if you're a younger church, be a younger church. What does the Great Commission command us? Go into where? All the world. And preach gospel to who? Everyone. So again, it's this nonsense teaching that we're only supposed to be one or the other. Because somehow you can't do both. But that's not the call of the local church. The call of the local church is to have families of all generations. Individuals of all generations that you can have. You see, this is why I love hearing people share with me. That when they come to our church or they're a part of our church, that they see generations in our church. They see young people, newborns, and grandparents all coming together for his glory. I love getting texts from parents or getting, seeing things on Facebook even where people are saying that their children are coming to Christ. That children in our church are coming to Christ at home and and seeing Christ modeled before them. This actually just happened within the last week or so that somebody texted me and said, hey, I just want to let you know that so-and-so came to Christ uh, this evening. And what a blessing to hear of that, that young people through the family, through the local church are coming to Christ. And it's all for his glory. But you know what? The things we're doing with junior church and nursery and, and all these things, Wednesday night, summer blast and word of life, we're not doing this just to give your children and grandchildren knowledge of God's word. We're inviting them, we pray, to a relationship with Jesus Christ so that when they are of an age, they can understand and you're sitting with them at the dining room table or you're on their bedside doing a devotion and they look at you at five, six, seven years old and say, hey, I think I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I mean, you can rejoice with them and be thankful that God has given you opportunity. And it's not just one individual that's doing that. It's a church family prayerfully praying over that individual, teaching them, equipping them from one junior church leader to a worker, to a volunteer, to whatever it might be, along with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, walking with Christ and modeling that before them. 
You see, it's so exciting to see God working in individuals' families. I love seeing posts where kids are in the Bible. Teenagers are getting into the Bible because they see mom and dad getting into the Bible and they realize it's a valuable priority. Listen, I said it before. If you really want your children or grandchildren to walk with the Lord, it's more caught than taught. You can tell them all day you need to do a daily devotion, but when they see you in the word, when they hear you talking about God's word, when they see you in prayer, when they see you not really feeling like going to church, but going anyway, amen? And they go, oh man, I don't really feel like going, but mom and dad, they don't feel like going sometimes and they still go because it's a priority. It's valuable. It's needful. I'm telling you, that's how I believe the word of God teaches us. We will see the next generation continue to walk with Christ. So how do we learn to function in the local church? How do we learn to function in the local church? Let me make sure this thing's turned on. Okay. So I want to walk through some verses this morning. And we're going to kind of do like we've done the last so many weeks. I'm going to walk through a handful of verses. And then we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit in the message. All right? So we're going to start in Ephesians 5.21. And so what I want us to see here is the theme of these verses. Like what jumps out to us from God's word in regards to these verses and how do we apply it to this desired question? How do we function in local church as a family? So the first thing we see is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is right before the passage that everybody loves to quote about husbands and wives. This is right before that. And actually it's in the context of worship. If you study Ephesians 5, right before this, he's talking about worship in the local church. And believe it or not, there's no definitive way to worship God as far as instruments. It's not like you can only use this instrument, only use that one. The key is that we are full of the Holy Spirit, expressing thanks to him, praising him, our attentions on him. Whether there's a guitar, whether there's no instrumentation, whether there's a piano or an organ, whether it's just a cappella. The point is that our hearts are submitted to him, that we're honoring him and praising him because it's all about him. And then our hearts are submitted one to another. Then we move into the family idea of submitting to each other. So there's this idea of submitting equals submission. Then it moves into wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I've said it before, that's one of those verses that it's easy to read, but it's very convicting when I look at my own life and my own marriage. And I heard an author say it this way, the longer that your wife is married to you and you're a Christ follower, the more she should feel like she's married to Christ. And so here's a a kind of a a test, men, if you're here and you're married, would you say honestly, and you don't need to answer out loud or raise your hand, would you say honestly that you believe that your wife feels like she's married to Christ more and more than she's married to you? Or would you admit like we all would and say, there's some areas that I need to work on. There's some areas that God is working on me with. And that's okay to admit that. We're never going to be perfect, but we strive for Christ-likeness. So here we see again this, this idea. Ephesians 6, 1 through 2, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is right that children obey their parents in the Lord. It is not saying parents are always right. It's not saying parents are always right and children are always wrong. It's saying that children obey their parents because the fact of obedience to your parent is honoring to the Lord. That's what the text is communicating. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. This is in the Ten Commandments. To honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life upon the earth. My mom used to always joke about that. Even when we weren't a Christian family, she said, that means I can take your life whenever I want if you disobey me. I said, mom, I don't, I'm not a Christian, but I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about. I don't think that's what scripture's referring to here. But we see this, so we've covered what? 
equal submission one to another. That's individuals and families. Then we see uh, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents. And then Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers, that word could also be translated parents, but you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we see here this kind of all-inclusive encouragement to the family. Well, let's take it a step farther. It's not just talking about husbands and wives and children and how children respond to parents. It goes a step farther. Titus tells us this. And the reference, if you, it's going to be at the end of the last slide, but it's Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8. So Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged men, that older generation, Titus is speaking here, Paul is rather speaking to Titus about the position of older men in the church. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as become holiness, holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. So we have older men and older women given a role in the local church. And to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Again, that is not obedient in meaning you have no say. It's Ephesians 5. It's saying submit to their authority after you've already submitted one to another in love. That's the idea here. Then it says that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So he's saying here, so we have a couple different categories here now, right? We have the older men and the older women who are asked or given a role of what? Mentoring or discipling the younger men and the younger women. And when it talks about the younger women, specifically it says to love their husbands, to love their children. By the way, that goes for husbands as well, younger husbands. Then it actually says, okay, now young men, and you can also say younger women too, just the younger generation. Now you need to walk in this way so that you would honor God and please the Lord in the gathering of the local church. And this is all written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who is a pastor, for the local church. So what is clear in these texts? That the local church is not made up of just individuals, but families. But think about it this way. Ephesians gives an encouragement to husbands, wives, and children. Those children would not have been able to hear that encouragement had they not what? Been in the gathering. So do you see at the very foundation of the church, families are a part of the local church. And the local church is a part of the family. These texts make it clear that the church is intended to be made up of families. And each family has a distinct and vital role to play. Every individual in the family, in the local church, has a role to play. The older generation, younger men need older men to come alongside and say, listen, I've walked with the Lord. I know it's not easy, but I promise you it's worth it. To share through their example how the Lord is blessed, provided, led, and guided them. Older women that can come alongside younger women. New moms that maybe are kind of freaking out a little bit. That first child. I know when we had our first child, I tell this story, but we, we literally brought him home from the hospital. We set Anthony on the middle of the bed and we were like, He's not doing nothing. Like, what do we do with him? Like, we just, like, what do we do? Like, I don't even know. Like, and so now, thankfully, Sandra had worked with children for a long time before this in different forms and different career things. But, but for me, I was really kind of like, I don't know how to be a dad. 
Like, I kind of know what my dad did, and some of it was probably good, and some of it not very good. Like, I don't really know. But y'all, older men in the church that would speak wisdom and share wisdom, not critically. Here's the thing, not coming in criticism or condemning because you do it different than they did. I'm always amazed that, that when somebody gets married or has their first child, when they're first pregnant, do you know how many women came up to Sandra and said, mm, let me tell you how to take care of that morning sickness. Eat this, this, and this, and drink that, and you'll be fine. We had 47 people give us 57 different ways to solve morning sickness. This is the way to do it. And sometimes that can happen, and we don't mean it to be that way, but listen, the younger generation doesn't need your criticism or your condemnation. They need you to come alongside them in Christ's likeness and encourage them and pray over them and support them. They're not going to do it the way you did it. That's fine. But man, the Bible's so clear at the foundation of the early church. Listen, we all have a role to play. We all have a position in the body of Christ to be able to help families grow in Christ. We are a family unit, unique, but we're not left on an island. We are placed by God's sovereignty in a local church that that local church would help and strengthen the family. That's why I love, and we've had this over the last little while now, but I love people coming and doing like a, a child dedication. And what do we say? It's really more of a parent dedication than a child dedication. And we know why we call it a child dedication. We're praying over that child or children to come to know the Lord at the age-appropriate level and that they would come to know Christ and grow in Christ. But we're also praying what? That we as a church would come alongside mom and dad and pray over them and encourage them and help them. And again, not to criticize them or to critique their parents' skills or their parent style, but to just love on them, to lead them to Christ-likeness and to demonstrate that before them. So families function in the local church through what way? What means? Well, I believe it starts with worshiping together. That families function in the local church through worshiping together. And there's two ways that I believe we do this for our church. So the first thing is family-integrated worship. Family integrated worship. What do I mean by that? So we have services here at North Goodland where the kids and teens, the children and teens, are purposely with the adults. We do this intentionally. Uh, again, this is intended to give adults a chance to mentor the children or the teens and the children and teens a chance to be connected to the body. I love that on Sunday mornings we have our teens in our main service. We have students that we don't have a teen service during this worship service. We have them in this service intentionally. And I've had people ask me, where do the teens go on Sunday morning? Well, where you go. What do you mean? Well, we want them sitting with you in church. We want them having time with mom and dad in church, worshiping the Lord. When I first started youth ministry here, we used to have a teen section. It was right over here, kind of would sit probably where Andrew and them are over here. And we'd have two rows of teens and I'd always sit over there with them. And just because we always had a teen section at the old building, the teens always sat up front, second row from the front on the left-hand side of the pulpit which is kind of weird because usually the teens don't sit in the front. They usually sit in the back, but we just did. And it's just kind of always what we did. And then it wasn't until we really didn't have a large number of teenagers in our church at the time. And all of a sudden, when we started growing with these families over the years, they just kind of sat with their mom and dad. And I realized, man, that is so much more beneficial to those students than sitting in a section with other students. Nothing wrong with students sitting together. But I think it's better. It's more beneficial that they spend a time at least in one service where mom and dad and the teens are sitting together or grandma and grandpa are sitting with the students where they're worshiping together as a family. I love Sunday night service, our Sunday evening service. We have our children in the service. 
we do offer nursery on Sunday nights, and usually I think it goes up to five years old. Um, but we've had even infants and babies in Sunday night. And I love that. Why? Because those kids are sitting in a service with adults, and they're interacting with the Word of God, and they're hearing adults say, well, I have a question about this, or I have a question about that, or man, God is so good, he did this. And those kids are hearing that. And it's not just mom and dad now that are telling them these things, or grandma and grandpa. It's other individuals in the church, and they're being encouraged. And by the way, those children can be an encouragement to the adults. I always love when I'll ask, because our Sunday night's kind of more of like a a classroom-style service. And I'll ask a question, and I love when like a 10-year-old answers the question, and I'll see an adult somewhere in the room kind of go, that was a good answer. I didn't think about that. I love that, because it shows families coming together with intention. This is not by just because we have to have the kids in here. We want to have the children in these services. A lot of churches have relegated children to only be in their class with other children, never to be seen or heard. Some churches actually so strongly discourage children in the main service that people have been pressured repeatedly when visiting a church to put their children or infants in a class or nursery because they might, quote, disrupt the service. Now, we do offer on Sunday mornings, we have junior church and we have nursery. But it is up to the parents if their children go in those services or not. And I've had people tell me that they walked into a church with a, with a fairly young child and just not quite comfortable yet with new church, new nursery. Now, I will say this. All of our children's workers, nursery all the way through our teens, are all background checked to the state of Michigan. We, we background check all of our volunteers. They know this. They submit to that. We don't do that just to protect the children. We do that to protect the adults and the volunteers as well. And so you can feel very safe and comfortable leaving your children in our services because we've done everything we can to make sure those people are qualified and, and should be in that room. All right? So we're doing our part. But sometimes parents are just, so this parent said, I'm not going to put my child in the nursery. I'm just not comfortable just yet doing that at a different church. I want to say this person said somewhere around between four to five times, they were basically approached and pretty much told, if your kid makes a sound in the service, you got to go because we're recording and it might mess up our recording. It might sound wrong on the recording. And this is somewhere in some churches, this is the normal thing. And so again, children are kind of relegated off to the side. We believe it is the parent's choice if they keep children with them or put them in a class. We actually love seeing students, again, sitting with their parents, children sitting with their parents in a service, because the discipleship that takes place in the local church is an extension of the discipleship that takes place in the home. The discipleship that takes place in the local church is an extension of the discipleship that takes place in the home. Now, this does not mean that peer-appropriate teaching is wrong. As we will see, we worship together through family-integrated worship and through focused peer worship. So we're not suggesting one or the other. What we're suggesting is a balance of both. Focused peer worship. What do we mean by this? This is where children will have an opportunity to go into a class where there's children of like age, to hear God's word at their level, to interact with the word of God, and it's an appropriate way for them to have teachers and volunteers. And by the way, I absolutely love our teachers and volunteers here at North Goodland. We are so blessed with amazing workers and volunteers. Amen? And if you think of it this morning, if you see one, let them know you appreciate it. Because I'm so thankful for individuals. And just recently, we have had another individual that has come and said, hey, I feel like the Lord wants me to step up and serve in junior church. How do I go about doing that? 
And they actually said to me, they said, you know, I've been fighting it for a long time. I've been fighting it for a long time, but I just realized God is encouraging me that I need to get involved. And what a blessing to hear people willing to do that. And so again, when we talk about these amazing teachers and, and volunteers that study and prepare, they're not taking mom and dad's place. When my wife, Sandra, goes with the kids on Wednesday night or is in junior church on Sunday morning, she's not taking any parent's place. What she is doing and what every other teacher and volunteer is doing is coming alongside mom and dad, coming alongside grandma and grandpa and teaching God's word to our children and teens. We offer peer-level teaching on Sunday morning for our junior church and nursery and on Wednesday night for our children and teens where those individuals can engage with the word with other children or teens at their level. And again, we believe that God is doing something amazing in the lives of our families. And we believe it starts with integrating together in some services so that we can grow and disciple each other, but also giving space for children and teens to interact and adults to interact with others at that level in the word of God so that God will work at that level for them. But here's the encouragement. All of this to say this, it all starts at home. It all starts at home. And I'm always amazed, again, when I hear people sharing about what they're doing at home and how God is working. And it all starts at home, but we are so thankful for the opportunity to help lead our families in the word and in worship. So families function through the local church by worshiping together through family-integrated services at some points. Sometimes it's focused peer worship. But also, not just by worshiping together, but by serving together. I believe families function through the local church by worshiping together and serving together. What do we mean by this? Well, the point is, we all can contribute. We all can contribute. God has called us to serve him by serving others through his church. And that call is a call to individuals and families. There is nothing better than seeing families serve together. So what I did was I just grabbed a couple pictures off of either Facebook or my computer. I just want to throw them up here. And these are just some examples. This is from this last Christmas. Um, just a good opportunity to see this. So, um, and I know they're kind of a little small, but you'll see here. So Christmas decorating, uh, this goes on uh, in December, uh, usually the end of November, December. And I love seeing the kids come out. There were so many more pictures I could have showed, but I just wanted to grab a couple real quick to kind of show you what it looks like. Um, I love seeing kids just come out and we have to take all the Christmas decorations out of one room and it's pretty well packed in there. All right. And so it's like floor to ceiling shoved in there. I don't know how many trees we have, probably it's got to be 25, 30 trees, something crazy like that. Um, because we just apparently love trees. Like we just so love trees. Someone's like, hey, you want another one? Sure, we'll take another one. Whatever, whatever. throw it in the room, that'll be fine. So here's some examples of some of the kids and teens and families coming together. This is also, uh, you see a couple pictures of some bell ringing that we do every year. Um, so uh, in November or December, this year it'll be actually December, we'll go to the local Kroger in Emily City and we'll take two days and we'll volunteer two-hour shifts and everybody will just get together and we'll ring bell for Salvation Army for a couple days. And so you get to see families coming together. Our love, uh, this bottom right picture, um, you can kind of see Tara kind of like, you know, Tara's the eye that you see there at the bottom of the screen. Um, so that's Tara Briggs, that's Julie Johnson, and then Tara's children. I love this because that's three generations serving. That's 
grandma, mom, and kids all coming together to serve for Christ. What a blessing to see that. And so again, there is opportunity for everyone to serve. We can all contribute. And I made sure when I got Scott up there, I was as far away as, you know, we wanted to get as far away from Scott. Just kidding. Just kidding, Scott. He's like, you could have just left me off and put Austin on there. I would have been fine with that. But we spoke last week about teaching through training, that we, we disciple our children through training, giving them opportunities to serve, and how important it is to model a consistent and fruitful Christian life before our children. And this includes serving others and serving the local church. The greatest thing you can do is serve someone. We all can't do financial things that others can do. You might not be financially able to provide a meal for someone or buy someone groceries or whatever, but you can serve them in some other way. And honestly, do you know the greatest way that you can model serving your church before your children and grandchildren? Through prayer. When your children hear you praying for your church family or praying for someone that's ill or praying for somebody that's going through something or rejoicing in somebody that just had a child or whatever it is, That's modeling serving the local church. And you get to do that with your children or grandchildren. And again, how do we do that? By establishing, like we talked about last week, a daily time of prayer and then sticking with it. I believe this. Every Christian family should establish a daily prayer time where you pray as a family and you keep that time consistent. Because again, what are we modeling? That prayer is important. It's so important that we're going to turn the TV off Mom and dad are going to get off their phones for a little bit. The kids are going to get off of whatever they're doing. And we're going to sit down and we're going to pray together. And sometimes it's chaotic. I'm telling you, sometimes you're like, I have zero interest in praying right now because what the kids were just doing or how they were treating or what was going on. It was just a madhouse. Okay, I understand that. But I promise you, if you will develop a daily time of prayer with your children as a family, And by the way, if you're here and you're, well, I'm just married. I don't have any children. If you and your husband or wife will develop a daily time of prayer and keep it, when, if the Lord does bless you with children one day, you will already have that habit in place. I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed when I hear Christian couples tell me, yeah, we really don't pray together. We just never have. And I understand why, because it's kind of awkward, right? If we're being honest, it's a little weird sometimes. Who starts... Okay, I'm not a great prayer out loud person. Maybe that's your fear. But whatever it is, as simple as it is, just start a habit of prayer and model that before your church. And that is a great way, or before your children, that's a great way to serve your church. You see, the reason we can all contribute is because simply, and I made this outline as simple as possible, there's no age requirement. There's no age requirement to serve. It doesn't matter how young or old the person is. We can use our gifts and talents for the Lord. We serve others in the church through our words, through our prayers, and through our actions. We serve others through our words. How do we do that? By encouraging and edifying each other. Using our words, as James says, to build up and not tear down. Or as Paul says, rather, in uh, Ephesians where James says the bitter water and the sweet water, the fresh water should not come from the same fountain. Our words, our tongues must be controlled. So we use our words to serve others in the church. We serve others through our prayers to pray that they would grow in the knowledge of grace and truth. I mean, what a pray, prayer you can pray over your church family. If you're like, I don't know how to pray for my church family. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, great prayers of Paul. Pray that over your church family. 
Pray, God, would you grow our church in the knowledge of grace and truth, that we would be firm in the word of God and through our actions serving one another for his glory. So as I did a moment ago, I want to show you some examples of this uh, no age requirement in service. Did I skip one? No, okay. And, and, and go. Okay. I feel like I skipped one. Is that the first one? Yeah? Okay. I just must remember them in disorder. So this is something that we did in the spring. Um, not a lot of pictures of this. So unfortunately, it's just two examples right now. But this is something called the uh, Olympian Takeover Night. And so what this is, is our Word of Life Olympians, the fifth and sixth graders, take over the whole Wednesday night service. So they do the worship, they do the game, they do the teaching of the devotion, they do the announcements, they do everything. And so here's a couple examples of two of our fifth and sixth graders leading our Word of Life uh, club this spring. And so this is Izzy Parmelee and uh, Carter Garten. And so I don't know what Carter's doing. He looks like he's like really excited to call on this young person that's freaking out in his chair. Uh, but it was so fun. They always have a good time. Um, and so Sandra loves this night to see the kids getting up and serving and doing that. So what a great example of that. This is from our Mother's Day breakfast. And so this is the kids, the junior church put on a breakfast for us. So we got kids in the kitchen cooking, some decorating going on. Uh, Everett's very excited about his eggs. He's so excited about that. Um, and then that would be Josiah and uh, Dave Channel mixing up, is that like pancake batter probably or biscuit? I don't know what that is. Um, and I was a little bit noticing the way Dave's holding that bowl. And it's almost like he's like, I really want to take over or I'm afraid the bowl is going to shoot off the counter. It's one of those looks on his face. I'm not sure what he was thinking, but he looks a little bit like this kid's crazy with the mixer. And that's my son, so he has right to be afraid. So, so this was great. This was awesome to see the kids just jump in and do this. And again, do you notice the ages of these kids? They're not 15, 16, 17 years old. These are little guys, little uh, young men and women that are just getting involved and serving. And, and just it's so exciting to see that. Um, yeah, there we go. So this is just some random, uh, some pictures of some different things that happen with our teens serving. Um, so we have up on the top left, that is uh, widow's banquet. So we have a couple students that are playing for widow's banquet. Uh, bottom left, this is fast car that we do with Word of Life, but we had students that were helping with that. Um, that's Luke Danielson, I believe, that's helping with the track. Um, this right here is some uh, face painting and different things that the kids were doing. So we had teens that were doing that, did an awesome job. Um, I think that's Melody. Is that, yeah, that's, she gave me the thumbs up, so she's good. Um, Sydney Vaughn's on the other side of the table. These two ladies, uh, I think Abby might have helped too. Uh, they do an amazing job with the face painting. Um, that line is always backed up for pretty much the whole event. Um, and then up on the top right here, this is our student ministry. Uh, every November, they do something called fruit basket ministry, which is where they, they kind of gather together a bunch of items for fruit baskets, and they deliver them to shut-ins or widows and widowers in our community through our church, and we just want to be a blessing to them. So they'll put all the baskets together, and then they'll go deliver those to the widows, shut-ins, and widowers. And so what a blessing, again, to see students involved, uh, serving, putting those baskets together, just having a great time doing that. Um, and then, oh yeah, there you go. So that's it. So just some examples of our little younger ones doing it, older students doing it, teenagers doing it, all coming together as the body of Christ. And one of the things I want to make clear is we are not seeing in these children's classes and in these junior church classes, we are not seeing the church of tomorrow. That is such a wrong way to think about this. It is not the church of tomorrow. It is the church. They are the church. And when we say things like, man, that nursery, uh, those, those junior church kids, they're the church of tomorrow. What we're doing is we're kind of subconsciously telling them, you don't get to be the church until you're 18. 
You don't get to be the church until you're older. And what a horrible thing to say to a child. No, you are the church right now. And if God has given you an opportunity to share Christ, share Christ. And I will always be amazed. And Sandra shared this with the, the Word of Life kids and the junior church kids before too. But she was led to the Lord by a first grade, or she was in first grade, a second grade girl in her school. Like a, a second grader led her to the Lord when she was in first grade. And she's never questioned or doubted her salvation a day in her life. And that girl invited her over for a sleepover and shared Christ with her as a second grader. And so don't tell me that children or young people or even teens, well, they got to wait till they get a little bit more experience, a little bit older, a little bit farther down the line. No, 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 no. We serve Christ right now wherever God has planted us, whether we're 6, 16, or 60. It doesn't really matter. The point is, how has God gifted you and how is your family being plugged into the local church to make a difference for Christ? That's the goal. You see, the local church plays a vital role in the discipleship of this generation for Christ. If the two institutions that God ordained to bring glory to his name and draw others into the kingdom are the small family unit and the local church, then we cannot dismiss, dismiss rather the value and priority of either. If those are the two institutions that God ordained from the beginning of creation, then both are vitally important to the advancement of his kingdom. We are so blessed to be able to pass down our faith to our children and our grandchildren that they too will walk with Christ. It is so vitally important that we take that seriously. And again, if you are here and you do not have any children or grandchildren of your own, you are not unusable to train up this generation. Your prayers are vital as you pray for God to move among our families and our youth. Your encouragement to parents raising children in Christ is vital. Your encouragement to young people serving the Lord is vital. In Christ, we are all a part of the family of God. And we can all use the opportunities that the Lord gives us to serve and strengthen others in their walk with Christ for his glory, that others would come to know him and make him known. I'm going to ask that you'd bow your heads right there where you are as we go to a time of invitation. In just a moment, the praise team's coming and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. And, and what I would like to do is just encourage you as you begin to pray right there where you are. That you would ask the Lord to make known to you the opportunities that are already in your life. The opportunities to encourage maybe somebody that's younger. To be a blessing to them and to walk with them in Christ. To encourage them in their walk with Christ. To help them to see that there are difficult roads that lie ahead of all of us, but that in Christ, he will never leave us or forsake us. And your example of that testimony can make a world of difference to a young person today. Maybe you're here and you're a younger person, a teenager, or maybe even like a young 20s. And you're so excited for what the Lord is doing in your life. And you can be an example and an encouragement to the older generation that they would see your fire for the Lord and see your passion for Jesus and it would encourage them to see how they can walk with Christ in a new and exciting way. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, no matter your age, that God can use you and desires to use you. You may think as you're praying now, you may think I have no gifts, no talents, no abilities how could God use someone like me? I'm not good at this. I'm not great at that. 
I'm not a gifted speaker. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I mean, how could God really use me? And my encouragement to you is God has given you everything that you need to be used of him to impact this local church. We're all needed in the body of Christ. We've all been gifted in certain ways for his glory and our blessing. And the biggest thing we can do is stop worrying about our ability and just make sure that we're available. To be available and surrendered and willing to step into that position, to step into that situation, to to use our words to edify, to use our actions to serve, to use our prayers to encourage the Lord to work in someone's life or situation. There's no limit to what God can do through an individual and a family that is surrendered to him, seeking him. And so whatever God is doing and however God is applying this to your life, I pray that you would allow him to encourage you to just step into that position, step into that situation, step up into whatever he's calling you to and allow him to use you to make a difference in this generation that's coming up right now. And maybe instead of condemning them and criticizing them and talking about how it's not like it used to be and it just never will be the same, maybe we should instead be thankful for where God has planted us right now as a family. That God wants to use us right now, right here in this community to make an impact for Christ. Father, as we come before you in prayer and invitation, we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that has been said and done. Thank you for the families of our local church. Thank you for those that are a part of our church that are mom and dads and grandma and grandpas that are displaying and modeling that Christ-likeness. Lord, not perfectly, not perfectly, but faithfully and consistently. Father, for the one or maybe more here this morning that are wanting to start this type of a process, wanting to walk with you in a new way, wanting to get to the point of being in your word daily and praying daily as a mom or a dad, and they realize it's lacking in their life right now, I pray that you would encourage them that there's grace to pick them up right where they are, grace to restore them, and grace to begin this process. You are a God who loves small beginnings because in the small beginning, you can use that to build an amazing result for your glory. And so there's nothing about beating ourselves up about tomorrow that's going to be beneficial. We have to start right now in this moment and say, okay, this is where I want to go. This is where I believe the Lord's leading me. Lord, help me to start the pattern of discipline and behaviors that will be beneficial to that outcome. Help me to be disciplined in these things, to put in the work by your grace that I might glorify you. And Father, we thank you again for these families, moms and dads and grandmas and children, Grandchildren, Lord, what a blessing it is to see so many kids in the church, to hear about children coming to the Lord, seeing them serve and grow. Lord, we will be ever amazed, and I pray that you'd help us, no matter our age, to do all that we can to help this generation to continue to walk with Christ, because that's how we're going to see our world changed. And so, Father, again, may you give application as you see fit, and Father, we do pray that there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, Maybe they've gone to church their whole life but never repented of their sins and trust in Christ. Then they can right now in this moment repent of their sins, believe that you died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again, and that by placing their faith and trust in you, they can be saved from their sins, given the gift of eternal life. It's not through church attendance, baptism, Bible reading, or tithing. It's not through good works. It is only by the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ on the cross that we have eternal life. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would, by the drawing of your Holy Spirit, lead people to repentance, that they might come to know you and know what it is to have that eternal life. And so, Father, again, thank you for all of this and work in this time of invitation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? However the Lord is leading, would you come and pray? Maybe it's a family, mom and dad, an individual, whatever God is doing, would you come and pray and say, Lord, help me to walk with you and do all that I can to serve this local church, to serve you for the benefit of this younger generation. They might come continue to know Christ. Would you respond as we sing?